so we're gonna have to pause. That's fine. Like, go pee like the wind. Well, actually, um, don't pee like the wind. Pee like the waterfall. It's <laughs> like a terrible idea. <laughs> don't pee into the wind. What? Never pee into the wind. <laughs> no, and don't pee like it either. Yeah, give her boy advice I'm when leaving. you're out in the woods. Bye. Don't pee into the wind. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And this is the podcast where one of us explains a weird piece of media to the other who has no experience with it. Danielle, that's not true. I'm like a mid-level manager at this point that experience <laughs> I have with this media franchise. That's true. That's how I feel about Hyperion as well. You're more like a, a CEO with Hyperion at this point. <laughs> Like the vice president. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're like just below me on the totem block. I brought you on the board, Danielle. <laughs> Short of reading them, I know everything that happens in Hyperion, if I can remember it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm sure I know everything that happens in Hyperion. I've read them, so. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple times. I, that should tell you a lot. <laughs> anyway, we're not doing Hyperion today. No. I, we didn't switch it up, and now I'm doing Hyperion and Sam has to listen. You should definitely do it to me, and oh my gosh, that'd be great. <laughs> it would not. Okay. I can't even keep track of what I know. And we are doing, we are continuing our saga, Sam, into the Carolyn B. Cooney's wonderful Face on the Milk Carton franchise of What Janie Found. What Janie Found. Direct sequel, maybe the timeline is unsure. Uh, from it is. It's a sequel the, to... Okay. The Voice on the Radio? It is. Yep. It comes in after that. Perfect. Can't wait to definitely have the conclusion to the story, not a cliffhanger this time. Uh, well... I mean, this does <laughs> conclude, but there is actually one more book. I think originally I said four. They're really five. It's a whole thing. Maybe there's six. We'll find out. I'll be honest. I have no idea if I read through all of these, but the fifth one sounds wild. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think that's <laughs> it. I think there's only five. I mean, there's nothing more wild than like a book that is written after the series concludes to like just just another cash in thing. Yeah, it was years later. Yeah, yeah. So you have to really like stretch to make all the plot points fit. I love that. Yeah, it's gonna be good. But let's get uh, involved here with what Janie found. Did she find religion? Uh, yes. Okay. So wait, no, no summary. No, I'm not gonna give you summary. I've stopped giving you summaries on these because it's more fun to just make you blind. <laughs> <laughs> You're not even gonna make me summarize the voice on the radio. Uh, I mean, sure. That kind of comes into play. Go for it, Sam. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me that The Voice of the Radio was just like a, a relevant book to this one? No, it's relevant. You'll All see, right. sort of. But it's not like super relevant. Yeah, All let's right. back it up, back it up, yeah. back it up, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, let's hear that again. <laughs> back it up, back it up, back it up. And Sam, you're going to give us uh, a quick rundown of The Voice of the Radio. I mean, I did this because I really want to talk about the voice of the radio and how much I hated Reese in that book. Or Reeve, sorry. Reeve. See, I hate him so much I burned his name out of my memory. Well, it's unfortunate that you're going to be continuing the series. So, Reeve goes off to college. Janie's still in high school, dreaming about marrying him and then living on a yacht because teenage girls. You give a quick one-second, one-sentence summary of what happened to Janie in previous novels for our listeners who are suddenly going in blind. I mean, that's a choice they're making. I really feel like <laughs> they should be have to suffer the consequences of their choices, but sure. <laughs> Janie was supposedly kidnapped, still not proven, as a child by a woman who was in a cult, Hannah, and then she saw her face on a milk carton, hence the name and reconnected with her original family. 
because her parents are actually her grandparents, but not actually grandparents, are the parents of the person who kidnapped her. And that's pretty much it. They're like navigating being a blended family, et cetera, et cetera. Give or take. All right, continue on. Voice on the radio. Reeve works at his college radio station and decides to immediately sell out Janie's story by telling it to everyone on the college radio station during a live broadcast just for all those sweet, sweet fame points you get from being a college radio DJ. <laughs> it's going to start his career, Sam. Yeah. Predictably, Janie finds out about this, does not like this, and absolutely dumps his scraggly butt as she should. Yeah, she absolutely should. That's pretty much the book. Yeah, that's about it. And we all hate Reeve. The end. <laughs> uh, although at one point, at the very end, I think, which will be very relevant to this book, I'm guessing, Reeve gets a call from someone claimed to be Hannah, who was the one who kidnapped Janie at the radio station, and also the sister of Reeve, who is a lawyer? Unclear what she actually does. Yeah, it she's has- a lawyer, Lizzie. Lizzie sure. the lawyer. Right. Well, like, her actual ability to lawyer is in question because <laughs> we don't know what she's doing. But she's somehow on the Janie case and has been informed that Hannah's, in fact, dead or has been for a while. So there's the mystery. Excellent. Okay. That was pretty good, Sam. Good job. I really want to talk about Hannah being dead but not dead, maybe. Yeah, we'll find out. This week, sort of, on what Janie found. Sort of. <laughs> What'd she find? More questions? Always. So... Ooh. It opens um, with a little, I don't know what they're called. My mind just went blank. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is it called when you, uh, you know, write like your little thing at the beginning that's like for XYZ? No, when you talk giving, it's your- A dedication? Give, a dedication. There you go. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it opens with a dedication and it says- To whom? For, for my son-in-law, Mark Zanardi, driver of the face on the milk carton race car. Wait, 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 what? There's know. a lot to unpack there. It was so good. I did, like it actually my Kindle automatically went to the first page of the book and skipped this entirely, but I went back to see if I could find a year for the book and I saw this and got completely sidetracked. Reasonable. Are there dedications in other books? I don't know. I might have you to should go, go back, back and check. Look. Yeah. So Okay, I mean, I know that there are race cars that are called, like, you know, the 7-Up race car, whatever, like, that are, whatever, whoever their sponsor is. So, is there a race car sponsored by the face of the middle curtain? I don't know. Like, is there a NASCAR car or whatever, Formula One? I don't know. I don't know anything about car racing, guys. I'm an idiot. But the point <laughs> is, is there some car that has, like, a decal of the cover for the face of the middle curtain? And... It's like, oh, there comes the face of the milk carton car. They're coming in third. <laughs> I have no idea. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of questions as well. None of them, which are uh, answered in this book. So there did you, you go. Did you bother to look up Mark Zanardi or whatever? Absolutely and... did not. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get through this. We were on a timeline, Sam. <laughs> That's true. We were on a time crunch. We're not, it's been a rough couple of weeks, guys. <laughs> so I did that this morning. I did not Google it after I was done. Wild. Absolutely crazy. All right. Anyway, that's how it uh, opens with a lovely dedication page, and it moves into the story. Great. A dedication. Mark Zanardi, I hope that you appreciate – I'm getting his name right, I hope. I hope you're appreciating yep. this. Yeah, I hope so, too. So the book opens with a newspaper article. It says, Missing Child Milk Carton Campaign Marks Anniversary. 
And we find wait, out. In, wait, wait, one year anniversary? Doesn't say. <laughs> he yeah. actually skimmed through it several times because, like, well, many years of anniversary. But it turns out it doesn't really matter because the program was discontinued after some parents found it distressing for their children. But Flower Dairy, which was the original um, makers of this missing milk child milk carton campaign, would like to remind everyone of its spectacular success with and Jenny finding Spring. one child. <laughs> Well, one child is one more than was found before, Sam. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I I can't argue with that necessarily, but I wouldn't call that like a massive success. It was not. However, they just, that's how it opens. Just letting you know. I'm not condemning them. I'm sure their hearts are in the right places. And, you know, but who's to say Janie would have eventually found her way back to Jersey beforehand? That's true. So, anyway, that's the beginning of the book. And then you find that Janie is looking at a file folder. She is in the office of her house, and she reads the line on the page that said, Last seen flying west. Hannah, no! Oh, no. She reads the words over and over, and they're really distressing her. We don't. We get a lot of in media rests, like, we don't quite yeah. know what's going on yet. She just so, remembers that she has to go west, young man. <laughs> exactly. And she is very distressed by these words that she keeps imagining disappearing entirely. She could ruin a dozen lives, live her own, hold all the power, be the bad girl. The idea of like just disappearing, of flying west. Jamie uh, could do this. Like yes, this is her. Janie I think could like, do this. It's her internal monologue about how many lives this. could she rule? I mean, no offense. Her to entire me. family. <laughs> I mean, kind of. If she just disappeared know. again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, it did be very distressed, but she sounds like she's like supervillain levels of like, I could ruin them. <laughs> she's like 17, Sam. She probably is thinking supervillain levels. That's true. There's not much difference between a 17-year-old and a supervillain. <laughs> so the idea appeals to her because about all the things that have happened to her, the contents of the folder upsets her the most. And at that very moment, Janie hated her father. Which father? Her Connecticut father. Okay, because he kept this from her? Whatever this is, yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> also, she's 17. Of course she hates her father. <laughs> so her mother has asked her to help keep her father's office organized, and she'd run across the folders with the initial HJ in the paid bills section. That's a dangerous acronym, or initials. <laughs> yeah. I would not open a folder in my father's office that had the letters HJ on it. I'm just saying. Well... But it, Asking for trouble. Yeah, but she was drawn to it because, you know, Hannah. <laughs> All right. Reeve was sitting on the floor in the office. He was supposed to be helping, but he was Wait, mostly- Wait, he's there too? We're going to get into it, Sam. No, I, I refuse <laughs> to let this cad back into our lives. Oh, you're going to hate this book then. I'm sorry. He was supposed to be helping, but he was mostly watching Janie, and he could normally read her face, but he wasn't sure quite what was going on in that moment, but he knew that he wanted to read the file because it obviously had something interesting in it. Okay. Pause just just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Reeve, who has betrayed her trust immensely, is trying to get out of the doghouse by helping her. But instead of helping her, is to stare at her creepily and wants to pry more into her personal life. You didn't let me finish, Sam. Nope, I don't care. That's wrong. That's awful. <laughs> But he reminds himself that he can't trespass on her again. She's finally just let him be near her and is friendly with him again. And he's promised himself he needs to grow up, which means he can't do that to her. So he suggests hamburgers to the group, which is apparently a crowd. Mrs. Johnson, Brian, one of the twins from the last right. book, you might Brian remember. Brian and Brendan. Brian and Brendan. Hey. And uh, Reeve and JD are all in this office. So he suggests going out for hamburgers to the crowd and they all agree. Okay. Who doesn't love a good hamburger? Yeah. 
So Brian, this is just like the old other book that jumps around in between characters. <laughs> so Brian's excited to be visiting the Johnsons because he started to feel actually a little more at home there than he does at his actual house back in New Jersey with his twin because his twin is so involved in all his sports stuff, which is baseball, by the way, not curling. No, it's curling. It's definitely curling. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. Baseball's way more boring than curling. <laughs> it is. We can continue pre- pretending that Brendan's super into curling. I mean, I just really want to go curling. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Brendan has not really noticed him over the last year, and he's kind of feeling like a leftover in his family. And he also noticed that Janie was really into this file folder that she found, and he also desperately wants to read it, knowing that it must have something to do with him and his family. And this is where we find out that Janie's father is apparently in the hospital, and that's why they're in the office working on bills. <laughs> I hate my hospital-bound father. <laughs> he has a stroke and a heart attack. And Ooh, that's a double whammy. It's not good. And Mrs. Johnson is upset and trying to hold it together as she works on the bills with the kids, but she so she did not notice the folder. So everybody in the room but Mrs. Johnson has noticed that she's How very convenient. upset about this folder. <laughs> So they go to get hamburgers, but the whole time Janie's thinking about the contents of this folder that she found, which is still unknown to us as readers. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that out, Danielle. <laughs> yeah, she wants to scream and shout, but she can't because everybody's there. And even after she excuses herself from visiting her dad at the hospital and drops everybody off at their respective homes, Brian would still be in the house. So she can't even be upset in her own house, which is frustrating to her. Yeah, he wants to scream and cry. It's her party, Danielle. She can cry if she wants to. Yeah, poor Janie. The blows just keep coming. And they don't stop coming. Yeah. Hit the ground running. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> we don't have the rights to that song, Sam. <laughs> uh, I don't have the right lyrics to that song, Danielle, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Just making things up. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> So Reeve can kind of sense this is where her her mind is going and offers to take Brian to a movie to give her some alone time. And she knows that he's doing that. Like, she's aware that he's trying to help her out because um, he's been constantly trying to find a way for them to get back together and for her, for her to forgive him entirely. But she's still touched by the gesture because it was Aww. nice of him. Aww. His manipulative actions are touching. I don't think he's trying to be manipulative so much as just... Conscientious conscientious because he knows he has a lot to make up for and he's hoping that maybe he'll say the right thing at some point that will trigger her to actually forgive him but not just kind well of- that's all women are they're basically like <laughs> uh jukeboxes you put enough quarters they'll eventually get you want right that's his hope there are a lot of people who actually think like oh if i give a woman enough compliments she'll sleep with me i've earned sex and that's like an that's issue basic- yeah that's basically a problem with a lot of people who think like yeah you put in friendship you get out sex or something yeah, to be fair, I think this part of the book, if I recall correctly, is from her perspective. So I'm not sure it's really what he okay. know, is thinking specifically. All right, because I was going to say that'd be pretty, it's, it, it's a pretty gross perspective to have. Yeah, I, he clearly wants to be back together with her, but he mm-hmm. understands that he like screwed up. Okay, well, as long as he acknowledges that. So she drops off their mom at the hospital and heads back to the house. And Reeve asks Brian what movie he wants to see. And Brian says, I want to see what was in that folder, Janie. <laughs> subtle? Uh, yeah. Brian's not subtle. Go figure. So she admits to them that it said HJ on it. And Brian's a little bit disappointed because he figures that obviously the dad would have a file on Hannah. Like, you know, yeah. she was this missing Clippings kid and, and they were yeah. like hiding from her. Like, what's the big deal about the folder? Why is Janie's upset about it? Like, which I mean, 
I think it's a valid point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh no, a father is keeping tabs on his cult missing daughter, whatever. Like, that makes sense to me. It does. So, uh, so cut scene, and Steven, meanwhile, is off in Colorado living his best life. And he hates calling his family because the emotion and stress about him being so far away is palpable. They've definitely gotten a lot better, but he hasn't really been there a lot. So he hasn't arced mm. the same way that I think his, his family And he's away has. in Colorado for school, right? School, college. Yep. So he emails because he likes to stay connected, but he wants to be like detached in that Wait, connection. he doesn't fax? He doesn't fax. I know. What is he? He's not even like modern. It doesn't count. I mean, <laughs> I expect at least three faxes a day. <laughs> Nope, he's got email going. Lame. That'll never catch on. <laughs> so he's got a whole new life there. And he's only been home twice in the last, like, year and a half. So he's there for Thanksgiving for, like, two days and uh, Christmas for a few days. And that's it. What to stay from, like, Thanksgiving? I mean, that seems, like, unnecessary to fly back and then fly back again. Over, like, he really didn't want to spend that much time with his family. Okay, wow. Well, he's really trying to assert <laughs> his independence, right? Yeah, well, which I get, to be fair. He was yeah. the eldest of a kidnapped situa- child situation, and he was probably in charge of his, his siblings for, like, years. I mean, that is fair. And I'm sure he – and we've established in previous books that he was really angry about having to be, like, the person – Mm-hmm. to live in this situation and he was mad at Janie and they just kind of reconnected over Thanksgiving. So so he f- loves being away from them. He feels like he's finally becoming the person he could have been without the kidnapping because he's not uh-huh. surrounded by like constant reminders of it. And he's even got a girlfriend that he's been dating for quite a while that he's never told them about. But over the last seven months or so, it's July. So over the last seven months since his last visit, he's found himself kind of missing his family a little bit to his surprise. Weak! He's also convinced that the Johnsons are secretly in on it somehow and deserve jail time. Like, there was no way they didn't know they had a kidnapped child. <laughs> That's a wild speculation to make. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think he needs some therapy, which is a running theme in these books. <laughs> yeah, this book doesn't get any better. It's not as bad as the last book or the book before that where oh. they really needed therapy. The but second they... <laughs> book was the most gratuitous for them needing therapy and not getting what they needed. Yeah, but this one definitely has a few moments where I'm like, you know what, help this therapy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not saying therapy is the only and best solution for everything, but in this instance, it's clearly very much a necessary tool to help them. Yeah, like literally everybody involved in this whole entire experience should be in therapy right now. Preach. So meanwhile, back in the car in Connecticut, they're interrupted from the file folder conversation by Lizzie the lawyer. Yay! <laughs> I like it. I call her Lizzie the lawyer. <laughs> She's getting married and she wants Janie to come in and get fitted or something. Talk about the wedding. Oh, you've come to me on the day of my daughter, Lizzie the lawyer's wedding. You ask <laughs> me this question. No, I, I think it's interesting, Sam, that you didn't get to the thought that I immediately had, which is, why is Janie in Lizzie's wedding? <laughs> Wait, I, I miss—I didn't hear that part. I was talking over it. I did my, my godfather thing. <laughs> so she's supposed to come in and get fitted and, like, talk about the wedding, which she is a part of. <laughs> so she is, like, a maid, a bridesmaid in the wedding? Absolutely. I mean, you're the ex-girlfriend of my brother. I guess that's good enough. <laughs> I want to give you legal advice that was of dubious quality. What I like about this book, Sam, it happens a couple of times, is that the thoughts that I immediately have are then- Are answered. Are answered in the book, and I'm like, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I hate when you have these thoughts, and then it's never explained, and you're just like supposed to go with it. Well, what does the answer the book provide for why Lizzie the lawyer has Janie the kidnapped 
in her wedding. I'm not saying it's a good answer, but there is an answer. So Brian immediately thinks it's weird, too. He's like, why the heck would you have your younger brother's ex-girlfriend <laughs> neighbor in your wedding? Like, they weren't close. They're 10 years apart. And he notices a look pass between Lizzie and Reeve, and he realizes that Reeve asked Lizzie to have her in the wedding. Nonsense. Just, I know. I'm assuming partly to kind of like distract her a little bit, but also probably so we can make a move on her, let's be honest. Yeah, no kidding. And if I was Lizzie the lawyer, I'd be like, uh, no, that's creepy, and I will not be a party to your Three's Company-esque shenanigans to try to ensnare your girlfriend back – or your ex-girlfriend, I should say, back into relationship with you. I don't know, man. She's 29. I don't know how old she is going on 20. <laughs> not wild. I'm just – that is a choice to make that I would not have made. Also, yeah. if I was uh, if I was Janie, I'd be like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Look, I love my friends. and I love their weddings. They're always great and I love celebrating them. But also, weddings are a lot of work. Even if you're just attending them, they can be a lot of work and – if you're in the wedding party, they're even more work. It's true. And I don't think, like, I would do that for someone I barely knew. Well, I mean, they, she was, like, her babysitter or something at one point. They yeah, that's She's not her enough. whole life. <laughs> I, I mean, Danielle, would you be in the, in the wedding party if you're babysitter? Um, I was really close to my babysitter growing up. We actually, like, well, on vacation. I was asking for trouble. Like, you're such a weird <laughs> life. I should have expected that. <laughs> Like we're Facebook friends still. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, all right. I, I really stepped in that one. <laughs> I made the mistake of asking you a question about your life. Yeah, my grandparents took us on vacation together once, and it wasn't just so I had a babysitter while I was there. It was like so we could hang out. Uh, I mean, I, I need a more normal person that I can ask <laughs> Sorry. these questions of on this podcast. <laughs> so, like, uh, we're not super close now. It would be weird to ask, to ask me to be in her wedding. But at the time, if she'd gotten married a little bit, you know, after that, sure. Sure, I probably would have. All right. Well, whatever. I, think I still think like, it's weird. Okay. So she's like 17 or something in this book, I assume. She's yeah. on the verge of, of graduating or just finished her senior year or something, and it's unclear. Um, so I would imagine at that age, you probably would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. She was like genuinely like thrilled to be asked to be in the wedding. So well, I think as an adult, you're at an age where you're like, huh, weddings. Yeah, that, I think that's more what it is. I'm just so jaded and tired. Like, again, love my friends, love their weddings. And it's much more work on their part just to, to do a wedding than it is to just attend one. But it's still like, how many of these you have to go to a year? Yeah, you have a lot of friends. Maybe you should have less friends. I'm really trying, Danielle, but for some reason, this won't leave me alone. Yeah, well, you should have fewer friends like I do, and then you don't have to attend as many weddings. <laughs> Danielle, teach me your secrets. <laughs> no, I only went to like one wedding last year, so we're good. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Brian uh, is thinking about how he couldn't help but like Reeve. Just Reeve's kind of a fun guy to be around, you know, high energy, smart. But Reeve had hurt them all, and he didn't think he deserved to get Janie back. So that's, I mean, that's where the 13-year-old stands. I mean, he is so wise in the ways of love. <laughs> I love Brian. Brian is by far the, like, the most likable and most rational character in this entire series. And we probably know the least about him, right? No, we find out quite a bit about him because it bounces okay. around between the characters. I mean, but, his big thing is that he's a twin that's like, you know, having difficulties being a twin. Right. But I'm just saying our general MO is a character we know the least about is what we like the most. Yeah, I mean, you definitely know less about him than you know about like Janie or Reeve or whatever, but... What I, about Brandon? 
You never find anything out about Brendan. We don't like him better. Well, we've broken the streak. Yeah, Brendan's like the one twin you get absolutely no information on. Are there other twins who get information on the aren't I meant, Brian? sorry, the one sibling. So you get, okay. like, a lot about Jody's head. You get, yeah. in this book, you actually get to know Steven a lot about her, but you get none of Brendan. Maybe he's in the next book. I feel bad for him being, like, the one, like, if I was him reading these books, I'd be like, why does nobody care about me? Yeah, he's, like, written off as, like, a jock character that doesn't care. <laughs> like, I was like, no. He's too dedicated to his curling career to be interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Which the is next, crazy. If I was <laughs> if I was following the story of someone trying to break into the pro curling scene, that'd be fascinating. I'd want to be all up in that guy's story. <laughs> Who cares about the kidnap victim? Give me the guy trying to make it in curling in ninth oh, grade. A seventeen year old that's having moody <laughs> problems trying to adjust to their life. Oh no, having an identity crisis as a teenager. Never read that story before. But a kid trying to break into the competitive world of curling—that's a story. Well, maybe in the next book we follow Brendan, and this is all back information. Perfect. I really hope that's the case. What's the fourth <laughs> book called again, Danielle? Or the fifth book? The fifth book. What, Janie? Oh, well, then definitely not about saw, Brendan. maybe? <laughs> she saw Brendan Curly. That's what yeah. it is. Janie face to face, I think is what it's called. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So there is, is a like, what, short story or something that's called What Janie Saw, but I think it's, it's Janie Face-to-Face. No, it's going to be Face-Off. They're going to have to like transport her face onto <laughs> Jody's face. It's going to be Face-Off. That'd be great. Uh, anyway. I, all right. Sorry, I get distracted. On. I want to follow Brandon in this curling career because that would be amazing. <laughs> we know nothing about Brandon. He can be your favorite character if you want. All right. He is. I'm, I, I declare it so. Okay. So they get a phone call while they're looking at wedding stuff, and it's Janie's mom. Her dad has taken a turn for the worse and is back in the ICU. Oh, no. Yeah, Janie has a little come-to-Jesus moment and is freaked out by the idea that he could die and she wouldn't have any answers and he w- she wouldn't be able to tell him that she loves him because she doesn't really hate him. She's just mad not. at him. <laughs> She's a teenager. I get it, Daniel. I mean, I say this a lot and I don't mean to be dismissive of teenagers, but like, we've been there. I get it. I mean, we've all hated our parents, but not really. <laughs> So Brian ends up staying at Reeve's house for the night and tries to talk him into going over to look at the folder. And Reeve Sneak reminds him. break in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not breaking in. She probably, probably has a key or something. Or Reeve's family certainly does. So Reeve reminds him that he's on the naughty list and that he's a, that's a terrible idea. And when he thinks about what he did before, he gets physically sick about it. So no, he's not going over to look for the folder. I'm just going to have to wait it out. Danielle, now, let me ask you a question. Did the book say on the naughty list, or is that you editorializing? That was me editorializing. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. <laughs> uh, quick question, Danielle. Why would you be on the naughty list? Well, I'm not on the naughty list. Oh, I think you are, Danielle. <laughs> I know you well enough to know you're on the naughty list. I don't know what I've done recently. I was very nice today to several people who probably deserve worse than I told them. <laughs> you know what? Maybe you're a better person than I am, Danielle. <laughs> so, you know what? I, I'm probably not on the naughty list. Ooh, la di da, Miss Fancy Pants. Maybe I'm on the naughty list. That would explain a lot about my life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like this karma for your past life of being... I'm pretty sure it's karma for a past life. Yeah, you must know, have done being... something terrible in my past yeah. life. Maybe I'm you so kicked a puppy or something. <laughs> oh, I would never... That's maybe why I'm so weird about animals. I would never kick a puppy, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's why you're being punished in this life, because your previous life person was a monster. <laughs> I mowed around a... Uh, a little ladybug today because I didn't want it to get caught in the, the mower. Oh, that's very cute. <laughs> Ladybugs are mass murderers. They will destroy a colony of aphids. I know. I just, I felt bad. It was in the way and I was like, oh, I'll mow around you. 
Don't be oh. here when I get back. <laughs> or else. <laughs> I didn't see it when I came back, so I did my over that path. Yeah, if you don't see something, it definitely means it's safe. Well, you know what? I can only do so much, Sam. I can't like live my yeah. life not mowing the lawn because there may or may not be bugs under it. You could get rid of the lawn and put in one of those like Oh, my long-term Native goal is gardens. 100% to get rid of lawns. I hate grass. There you go. Just kill put the it, grass. Yeah, put in a native uh, a native plant garden. Yeah. That's, Get that's some butterflies up in that joint. Some, some Feel free. It, uh, we, have, we have a Patreon account. Feel free to <laughs> patreon.com slash book retorts for a, a native plant front yard. Yeah. You know, grass is a status symbol that's no longer relevant. <laughs> Never was, really. But. My homeless. The inside yeah. had to get fixed before the outside could. Just like people, Danielle. Just like people. Exactly. It's a metaphor. <laughs> okay. Anyway. We are getting nowhere in this book. <laughs> That's your fault. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I accept that. That's so, why I'm on the naughty list. Stephen knows Janie has forgiven him technically, but not – sorry, Stephen. Um, Reeve Reece. knows Janie Reece. has forgiven <laughs> has forgiven him technically, but not really because now they're just acting kind of like relatively friendly neighbors. Like they're not – real they're courteous to each other but not friendly yeah and brian finally admits that it probably is a bad idea then he sneaks over anyway no he doesn't janie visits her dad and is later thinking about the folder she had originally told the boys that she wanted to burn it but she decides that she probably shouldn't do that and she should take a look at it and kind of see if she can glean some more information she did look at it while they're in the office so she wants to like read every page take it all in learn anything she can and she wants to find out what the small packet in the bottom of the folder was. She's almost certain it was a checkbook, and that's why it was in the paid bills section of the office. And that freaks her out. That is a checkbook in the folder? In the folder with about Hannah, yeah. Why is that, that freak her out? There's a checkbook in the folder. You'll find out, Sam. I mean, yeah, but I'm trying to figure out, like, why she's freaking out now. Because she thinks it's weird that there's a checkbook in the Hannah folder. Like, why would there be a checkbook in the Hannah folder? I don't know. I shove things in all kinds of places. <laughs> well, apparently her dad is, like, uber organized. Like, crazy, uh, crazy organized. Okay. And he's the one that did all of the bills and everything. Like, it was not – her mom did pretty much nothing in that field. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to besmirch your father's A-type personality. It's very clear in the book that he's, like, very organized. Okay. Well, my mistake. I, I retract my statement. I'll issue a full apology in tomorrow's paper. Perfect. Maybe it'll run under the uh, anniversary of the Face on the Milk Garden campaign. <laughs> yeah, sure. So some amount of mystery time passes, and Reeve is now is working <laughs> a summer time. job. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, like a days, episode. a week, I don't know, three weeks. It's unclear. <laughs> Welcome to Scooby-Doo Mystery, mystery time. time. I would uh, watch that. I mean, <laughs> there are so many. I've been trying to get you to watch Mystery Incorporated for years. I did watch like the part of the first part. Okay, for yeah. season or whatever. You, got, you didn't even get to the crazy stuff. I know. I'm sorry, but I heard so much about it from you, Sam. It feels like I've watched it. Oh, uh, fine. Maybe this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got nothing else to do. That's true. Uh, so Reeve is doing a summer job at a tree company. He really likes it. He's also working or helping out. It's wait, wait, very wait. Unclear. Define a tree company. Do they make trees or log trees? They like they do like an arborist like out there okay. cutting trees and pruning and all of that got it for just this tree company i don't know tree company that's just so vague <laughs> that sounds like the front for some like money laundering scheme like, no. yes we are tree company we are legitimate yeah they he gets to play with the chainsaw he's very excited about it oh, okay well yeah i'm on board <laughs> 
So he's also working or helping out with a pit crew at a local race car place. It's unclear. Okay. And he gives Janie tickets uh, to come, like, check out the next race, and she agrees to go. Her dad's doing slightly better and is back out of the ICU, and she tries to, like, call all of her friends to be be there, but they all have summer jobs, so she ends up with going, uh, she ends up going with just Brian to the racetrack. Okay. Racetrack. Again, what are they racing? Cars, horses, cars. dogs? Cars. Oh. Fast cars. It's like a genuine racetrack. That's why it's the face of the milk carton race car and dedication, Danielle. Yes, I understood why there was a dedication of that. I don't understand why there is a face on the milk carton race car. Right, of course. I I mean, I didn't read the books. I didn't know that there was race cars that featured prominently in this book. Neither did I when I read the first dedication page. (laughs) (laughs) It does not make it any less weird. I mean, it makes it contextually make sense, but it doesn't actually make sense. (laughs) I like to imagine, like, she's so proud of her nephew, the race car driver. She wrote a whole part of her book about race cars. That's so cute. It's quite possible. I love that. So at the race, uh, Brian brings up the folder again, and she admits that from what she saw, her father knows where Hannah is. She calls her my kidnapper. She doesn't like to say Hannah's name. Okay. Get over it. And it's possible (laughs) he even knew she was kidnapped, which is what's killing her, apparently. Oh, yeah. That would be a little... Yeah, she's not quite sure because she hasn't looked at everything yet. Um, but And it looks like, at least from what she can tell, is that he's paying her bills or, like, giving her money on some kind of regular basis. Hence the checkbook. Yes. And so she says, my father is supporting my kidnapper. Oh! oh so now you daughter. know why she's upset. I mean, yeah, I would have very mixed emotions about this, too. I don't know if I would freak out. But again, 19, 17, whatever. Fair enough. I don't know if he would have at 17, either. I'm. I, you don't think I was mercurial enough for, like... That unstable? <laughs> Are you unstable at seventeen? <laughs> I mean, is anyone actually stable at seventeen, Danielle? <laughs> I don't know. You were relatively rational even at a younger age. It's hard. I don't know. It's a lot of emotions. It's also a long time ago, Danielle. My memory of that time is fuzzy at best. Back in the mists of time, back when I was a young man. I think as when I was seventeen, I was like hyper aware of other people's feelings i'm still kind of in like that but like i i feel like i had a good sense that my parents were separate people from myself and so yeah i probably would have been upset about this but i don't know if i probably would have tried to figure out how to understand it in some level well good for you for being more emotionally mature than this fictional character except for the part where she he may or may not have known she was kidnapped obviously that'd be an issue <laughs> yeah that'd be a, that's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's the issue really that's a, I mean, supporting your estranged daughter is one thing. Knowing that she, yeah. That's the part she's most freaked out about later, though, is not so much that he may oh. or may not have, like, known she was kidnapped. The idea that he's supporting her is, like, freaking her out. Well, I mean, I think that recontextualizes it. If he, if he knew she kidnapped her and is still supporting her in that same way, that changes it. Yeah. So, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. All right. Well done, Carolyn P. Cooney. So this information shakes Brian a little bit. Obviously, he kind of just thought it was like a, Where's my daughter folder? He didn't realize the the depth of that. And Janie's father had swore to the FBI and police that he didn't know anything. Perjury. That they weren't guilty. Um, But if that wasn't true, could he be arrested? Like, they're probably not going to arrest somebody on their deathbed. You know, they're in coma or whatever. (laughs) Can I suggest something? Yes. I want this book to turn into an episode of Where in the World is Kerwin San Diego, but for Hannah. Where they just have to find Hannah. Whereas, like, they're following all the clues across the country to find Hannah. 
Come on, gumshoes. You may or may not happen. You'll find out. <laughs> as long as Rockapella sings the theme song, I'm on board. <laughs> that would make this a fun book. Is it not a fun book? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would just be more fun. Okay. <laughs> so he assumes that like there's literally no way the FBI or police could ever figure this out. So somebody would have to tell him. And he wasn't going to. And Janie certainly wasn't. So would Reeve end up telling the police you know he if they said, told reeve told things before yeah they could just not tell reeve yes at this point they could but, but reeve knows something about the folder right so he knows, he knows there is a on. folder he knows nothing about what's in it well he may or may not ever look at it you don't know sam so I he tell he tells janie that her mom almost certainly didn't know about it or obviously they wouldn't have been allowed to dig through the office um and with the stroke it's possible her dad won't be able to give them any details so you never know how people are going to recover from strokes sure so I think Reeve is there for this conversation. Ooh. So Reeve does overhear this conversation. And Reeve is confused when he hears this because he recalls, as you so rightly put in your little summary, is that Lizzie has told him that Hannah was dead and there's a death certificate on file. Danielle, Danielle. And eventually the Johnsons were supposed to be notified. Lizzie the lawyer, please use your full title. Sorry. Lizzie the lawyer has told him that <laughs> Hannah is dead. <laughs> So the Johnsons were supposed to be notified at some point. This is quite a while ago. They still have not been notified, which he thinks is kind of weird. Suspicious. Yes. So he's like, well, why not? And who, if she is actually dead, then who is Frank Johnson, Mr. Johnson, supporting? Was it like a fake Hannah? Had Hannah faked her own death? Had the cult faked it? Is somebody in I got the it. cult taking the money? I got I'm it. just letting you know what his head was going through his head. No, Sam. no, I've got the answer. It's clear that Lizzie the lawyer is running a grift. She <laughs> That'd be knows so good. Han yeah, yeah. She knows <laughs> Hannah is dead, but she's withholding the information so you can, can siphon checks off of Mr. Johnson. I hope that's what's happening. <laughs> you know what's happening. <laughs> Yes, that's what's happening. How did Great. you know? Oh, uh, I've read a crime book or two in my day, Danielle. <laughs> so Janie's angry and points out that all she was supposed to be doing was helping her mother figure out how to pay the bills, um, something that her father had been solely in charge of, as I mentioned. And now apparently she has to decide whether or not to support her kidnapper, because the time for the money is coming up. And then it's quarterly. Quarterly money. Okay. She, can she even write a check to her kidnapper? I mean... She we'll is... get into that later. No. <laughs> Surprisingly. <Okay>. Wow. <laughs> I did not expect that. I'm telling you, this book is amazing. Does an incredible job of like coming up with all of these the solutions to all the questions you have. <laughs> well done book. Color me impressed. Okay. So meanwhile, back in Colorado, Stephen is meeting his girlfriend's parents. Parent for the first time? No, parents for the first time. All of them. <laughs> all 17 of them. <laughs> There's a mom and dad. I just forgot that the mom was there. So it turns out that the dad was previously an FBI agent, and this freaks Stephen out. Who Why is everyone? Uh. <laughs> this freaks Stephen out because uh, he spent way too much of his time dealing with the FBI, so he feels like his past is kind of like circling back to his present, and it makes him really mm. nervous during dinner. And he ends up um, spilling the tale about Janie uh, because- Whoa! I know. Well, they ask about his siblings. They're like, oh, so you have Here's my twin brothers. Sister. And, you, and he's like, well, you know, actually, I have another sibling that I didn't tell you about because he hadn't told his girlfriend about her because he just didn't really want to talk about it. And uh, I also have this other sister that, you know, was this kidnap victim, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, but I don't really want to talk about it. And then Kathleen, I think is his girlfriend's name. She gets like super pushy. He's like, no, 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 we've got to talk about it. Like, this is so interesting. I can't believe you've never brought this up. And then they spend another hour, all three of them grilling him about all the details. Insane. Insane. <laughs> 
Also, I mean, I, not, I guess that's the same as like broadcasting on the radio, but still feels like an invasion of privacy. Well, I don't think he's giving. It's his own story, though. Yeah, Steven. a little bit more. Eh, whatever. It's, I don't uh, think he's giving every single detail. He's okay. just saying, like, this you is said the they story. Spent, like, grilling him about it. I didn't they know did, like- though. They asked him a lot of questions about it, but I mean, he can say whatever he wants. It's not like it was. It's at a dinner table. It's not like it was on the air for Boston to hear. They're just saying, oh, you know what happened? Okay. What's the story? Sure, sure. You know, does she live with you? That kind of stuff. But it goes on for quite a while. All right. Anyway, they grill him about Janie's story. He spills the bean, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not really spilling the beans. He just feels obligated to share it because he's the beans have been spilled. Danielle, (laughs) acknowledge the beans. And part of the problem is, you know, like clearly the FBI agent was a little, oh, kind of aware of the story because it was such a big deal. So back at the house um, after the race, (laughs) (laughs) you'd say anything. I thought I'd continue. And they're back at the house after the race. They decide to go through the folder. Frank apparently did not hire a detective. He just left his old phone number connected, the one that they had used in the past. Okay. And so Hannah had a place that she could potentially call if she needed anything. And the bank he used for the checks is out of Atlanta and isn't tied to his current address. So, like, it's the address isn't on the checks. And Speculation. So this isn't Hannah. It's his secret family. Maybe. We'll find out. <laughs> So he didn't Way really more want. Likely. He clearly didn't really want to see her or you know let her know where they were, but he had this connection with her, and he was giving her some money to live off of, which is I, I don't. They didn't say the amount, but they said it was quite a bit of money. So mm-hmm. um, Reeve realizes as he's looking through all the information that he didn't start sending money until three and a half years ago, which is when Hannah was arrested for sex work. Do you remember that in New York? Yep. She had left Vaguely. the cult. Yeah, she, yeah, left, she the left the cult, cult got arrested for sex work, and mm-hmm. et was arrested. And that was when the money started. So he sends money four times a year. It's a fairly large amount. And he has a police report in there about the arrest and everything he had somehow gotten his hands on. So they assume he must have gone to see her and sent her off and then started paying her. Because how else would she have, you know, afforded right. to leave <laughs> or gotten out of jail? So, Reeve continues to look through the folder and realizes the phone bills to the old number stop the month Lizzie realizes who Janie actually is. So, he must have canceled the phone after he realized she was kidnapped, which should be reassuring for Janie. Kind of. I mean, if he realized it, he should have done something about it. Like, told them where his daughter was? <laughs> no, but like, I mean, I guess I mean, we'll give you the timeline here. Did he... Learn that after Jeannie had already reconnected with her previous family, or was this like way before? So he started sending money when she got arrested, just three and a half years ago, and then right. whatever a year ago or something, he finds out that okay, Jeannie so is kidnapped. I thought he like found it out like immediately. I I don't no. know for whatever reason. I got the timeline confused me. I'm sorry. It is. No, it's okay. So he finds out. I don't know. My however long goes like said like a year ago or something that Janie's kidnapped. He still sends her money, but he's like cut off all contact with her other than the checks. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, I guess. Yeah. And so Reeve is thinking in his head that, like, he sends money because it's his kid and he can't abandon her entirely, but he doesn't give her a way to reach him again. So he kind of understands why he's still sending money. Um, and Janie does realize this as well. She kind of has a little moment where she's like, okay, so he was, like, motivated by love of his child, which I get. Um, yeah. But I'm still really angry that this mess exists and I'm basically the person who's cleaning up this mess and has to decide what to do moving forward with my dad in a coma, right? It is unfortunate that, like, he kept all this from them. Yeah. And she asks the the, the boys if she's supposed to send money because, like, the next date's coming up. And Brian's like, what? No. <laughs> Don't send money. She destroyed everything. Let her live in a gutter. <laughs> Yikes. That's, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Which harsh. I get. Yeah. And Janie's like, well, she might actually have to live in a gutter. Like, she didn't, I don't know, does she have a job? Is she, she clearly, like, at one point went to sex work, so she didn't have anything then. Is she, you know, saved up? Is she spending her money? It's like, I, I Not don't to know. degrade sex work. It's legitimate work. No. But it's what she had, you know, resorted right. to when she didn't have any money. And, like, what does she owe her father? Does she owe, owe him the support of this daughter that he had? And she says, she's his real daughter. I'm just passing through. Which would, again, therapy. <laughs> yeah. Therapy would help everyone in the situation. <laughs> I'm so mad no one has ever thought of that. Well, she remember in the last book, supposedly, she does occasionally have counseling, but she seems to only go to it if she's having negative thoughts, quote unquote. And so, like, she hates going to therapy, understandably. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So she feels like she has to put on, like, a happy face because otherwise she gets sent to therapy. Yeah, I mean, making it a punishment was definitely, like, the adults are the real monsters in these books. This, this story does not convince me otherwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So while she's looking through the everything in the folder, she finds an address uh, scribbled in the back of the checkbook, and it's in Boulder, Colorado, where Stephen is. Oh, why? Oh, this (laughs) book, the coincidences. Yeah, there's a million places she could live in the United States, and she's decided apparently she's living in the exact same city as one of the people connected to Janie. Right, with the FBI agent father. Yeah, (laughs) wild. Nonsense. <laughs> None of it. No sense at all. So she contemplates visiting Stephen and finding Hannah. Like she could pretend like she's visiting Stephen and go in search of Hannah and find out some answers. Sure. And so she's trying to figure out how she would go about it. She can't just stake out the post office because, you know, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. But maybe she could write a letter and put it in with the check or, you know, some kind of invitation or something. Hey, it's me, the late girl you kidnapped. Let's chat. Well, she hasn't figured out the details yet, but she's (laughs) like, well, maybe I could do this. So she convinces herself that this is a good idea. Sure. (laughs) Because otherwise there wouldn't be a story, Sam. (laughs) I get it. I'm just saying, I don't know if I would convince myself that. So she figures she can't just say she's visiting Stephen because nobody's really going to believe that. He... They've only just connected over Thanksgiving and it was like two days, you know, it's not like, I think she actually probably could be like, listen, I want to get to know my brother better. Could I like go out there and visit? But she doesn't go with that. Clearly she's as good a liar as you are, Daniel. (laughs) But she decides that she's going to say she wants to look at colleges there because, quote, every Connecticut teen goes through a Colorado stage. (laughs) Hmm? What? (laughs) Connecticut teens out there or people who were once Connecticut teens. Uh, right in. Did you go through your Colorado phase? We'd love to hear about it. Is this like Rob Springer for the Amish? Were you all do your, your Colorado phase before you're allowed to rejoin Connecticut society? <laughs> I laughed so hard when I read that. Reasonably so. I was I'm like, is that a thing? <laughs> wow. So she decides to use Brian as a bonus, kind of in case Stephen becomes difficult about it. And like, it's a good excuse. You know, Brian wants to visit his brother. She wants to look at colleges like they can go together. Sure. And Brian is disbelieving that she would want to go to school in Colorado because apparently she's been pretty gung ho about University of Connecticut. (laughs) Yeah, everyone wants to go to University of Connecticut. Well, it's an hour away from her family and... You know, I I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it's lovely. Danielle. She's not going to go to school in New Jersey, apparently. How dare she? <laughs> she doesn't want to go to Boston because she has bad feelings about it. Because Reeve is a Reasonable. monster. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, she, he like does not believe her. He immediately asks her what else is in the folder, and she tries to deny it, but she eventually tells him about the P.O. box that she saw written in the back of the checkbook. Oh, busted. Busted. Secrets don't stay secrets very long in this book, I've noticed. Everyone in this book is a terrible liar. Their subterfuge is <laughs> subpar. So he's pretty against this idea since, you know, she can yeah. be crazy pants or still part of a cult or... Also, it's a P.O. Puff. You can do stake it out until she shows up. Yeah, like I said, he, she might write a letter. I don't know. She's coming up with the ideas still, Sam. If you can write a letter from anywhere. It's the whole point of a P.O. Box. You get delivered. <laughs> Janie can just write the letter if she wants to write a letter. She doesn't have to go there to, like, drop it into the P.O. box. Well, no, she doesn't want to drop it into the P.O. box. She wants to write a letter to, like, meet up with her and ask her questions. Right. But you probably establish that before you go to Colorado. No, I think she wants to go to Colorado, like, drop off the letter and then be there because the money's due to be there when she goes to pick it up or meet after or whatever she wants to she's like, gonna stake out the p.o box my first assumption was correct no no i don't know that sam we're not to that point in the book yet <laughs> but that's her plan she has a plan danielle she's gonna go to colorado and wander around until she bumps into hannah which she would do in this book because that's how this book works <laughs> i think the plan is to like leave a note with the check or without a check or whatever to be like meet me at xyz space like i don't think it's too actually Stand uh, like, at the P.O. box and wait she's for her. Like, hold her for a rant. I'm like, you will come to the bridge at the corner of 3rd and 6th Street at yeah, 2 p.m. <laughs> on this date. Come alone. Yes, no cops. Quite possibly. Maybe, maybe we'll get to that part and we'll see. Okay. Dumb plan. So Janie insists that she needs answers and he threatens to tell. And she. I need answers. <laughs> you can't she... handle the truth. <laughs> And he says, pretty succinctly, who? You can't tell my father he's in a coma. You can't tell my mother she'll fall apart. You can't tell your mother and father they're too thrilled with their new lives. They're forced to face a real live Hannah and a real live trial. Their new lives are down the tube. You can't tell Stephen he'd be the first to phone the FBI. There's literally no one to tell, Brian. I mean, impressive, but also like, maybe some things are worth blowing things up for? I don't know. I think it's a scathing indictment on the adults in their lives. Yeah, and how fragile they are, and yeah, how much they like, support their children. Yeah, and how aware their teenagers are that they can't, like, upset Rely this delicate them. balance. Yep. <laughs> that's that's a very good point, Danielle. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. As soon as I read that, I was like, that's awful. Like, that the they feel like they need to parent their parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, great. I'm glad nothing's changed. Nothing at all. So he says that he's going to tell Reeve, which I'm pretty for- sure is just for plot, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, of course. What's Reeve going to do? Tell Lizzie the lawyer? His parents? I don't know. No, because yeah. then the FBI would get involved. Exactly. Then upset all the parents. Mm, there's no, there's, they can't tell any of the adults, apparently. Apparently, the adults can't handle anything. They have no ability to manage their emotions in a healthy way. We already way. know that. They have not been helpful to the kids at all. Did you Fair. see how they it, dealt with this whole situation? <laughs> right, by like, you may never see them again. <laughs> you can't contact your other family for three months. <laughs> That's the magic time period we decided on. <laughs> So Reeve hears the story, also thinks it's a very bad idea, because it is. Yeah. And he calls her selfish, asking what she's going to do if Hannah wants to be at her dad's hospital bed, and what if, what her mom's going to think if she shows up, or like all the different ways it could possibly go wrong, which there are a lot of ways it could possibly go wrong. Innumerable ways. <laughs> and she's like, I'll do what I want. Um, she's sick I'll of- do what I want! <laughs> You're not my dad! <laughs> 
She's sick of being the good guy, and she wants to know what happened and look some, look her in the eyes and get the answers that she needs. She wants to know why Janie was the one chosen, why that afternoon, why she went to her parents, why she didn't think of any of the repercussions, because I'm sure why? Hannah's just going to fill her in. Yeah, because I'm sure that <laughs> Hannah, the drug-addicted person in a cult who was brainwashed by a cult, was really thinking through all the ramifications of her decisions she was yes. making that day. I don't know if she's a drug addict or not. Wasn't it like something you said about the the cult? No, maybe that was the story the parents told Janie about. Drugs were involved somehow, I remember. Yeah, I don't remember. You know what? All these books are blur, Sam. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't remember if they were actually like drugs. They told her like she got involved in drugs and died or something. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, Reeve doesn't think any of the answers that she's going to get from Hannah are going to be good. And now he's mad at Frank, too, because what was the plan? Surely he thought someday somebody might find out of this information. Again... You these people plans don't turn into like these passion based driven thing. Like I'm sure Frank wasn't going like, oh, I really got a plan for the future of my estranged daughter. Yeah, in case somebody finds out, I'm gonna have to figure this out. Yeah, no, that's just like I'm just trying to hold things together as best I can, man. Get up my <laughs> <Yeah>. back. <laughs> They're very not empathetic towards their parents in some that's ways, and overly at. empathetic in other ways. And I think it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, okay. That, thank you. That's that's the incongruity I'm having here. Like, yes. you put good words to it. Oh, this is the quote. It says, but this was a nightmare without a plan. It was a slinky on a staircase curling down to the bottom. Nobody's stopping it. You ever had a toy slinky, Danielle? I have had it, and I've had stairs. And it does not work. I tell you what, I've had the most trouble getting slinkies to slink. I don't know. I'm pretty good at slinkies, uh, but it is a very 90s reference, and I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet a lot of kids don't know what slinkies are now. That ain't fair. And also, like, plastic slinkies sucked. Yeah, they were, they, it's they the were metal ones. Popular. You gotta get the metal you ones. Yeah, get the metal ones. But they would always get, like, bent and then completely useless. <laughs> yeah. They only lasted, like, a month. <laughs> yeah. They got bent one time. You're like, well, that's never going back into shape. <laughs> we're old. Uh, glad we all had the same experience with slinkies. Yeah. Negative. <laughs> Uh, so they knew he knew that they should call an adult, but he didn't think they could nor should go through anything more. So again, parenting parents. He also tells her she can't just write a check on her father's account. And That's fraud, yes. Janie, well, and Janie insists that apparently she can because she has power of attorney on her parents' account. What? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. They gave their teenage daughter power of attorney on their checking account. <laughs> Reeve is like, wait. You're underage. How does yeah. this work? Yeah, what? <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> this book has like negative sense at this point. It's it's in debt to sense. <laughs> and he decides it doesn't really matter whether or not she actually has power of attorney because realistically nobody checks like signatures on checks. And probably, that's true. That's true, especially in the nineties. Like you can sign whatever you want and nobody it's not like it's going through some system yeah, that's they only ever check up. them like if there's like a fraud a report or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and he, even she's then, like, if it doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. So he decides he has to go to keep her safe, to like go with her to keep her safe. And he So just, Reeve is like, I'm gonna tag along on this Colorado trip too. That won't be suspicious. Yes. They come up with a story, Sam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're so good at coming up with stories so far. If Janie had just been better come up with a story before, she would never have had this whole conversation with these two boys. I think it helps that they're all really good kids prior to all this happening, so they can get away with murder. Possibly literally. We'll find yeah, it out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that that helps. They're going to go murder Hannah, and it's going to be like, oh, that's what the book's going to be? It's going to be like 
some weird version of Stand By Me, where instead of all going to touch a dead body, they go to murder a woman. <laughs> it's quite possible. I definitely cool. could have gotten away with this as a kid. Like, I could have just been like, I really want to see XYZ's thing. My parents would have been like, okay. Very lax childhood. <laughs> well, I was a good kid, so they wouldn't have suspected mm. I was going to find my crazy bio mom who lives in Boulder, Colorado. Fair. So he says that they can all go or she could not go at all. Those are the options. And she can't approach Hannah. And Janie doesn't really agree, but is like, sure, that's the plan. Let's go. How are they going to stop her from approaching Hannah? I have no idea. <laughs> So they call Stephen to tell him that they want to visit, and he's surprisingly delighted by the idea of it because uh, he missed his family. He has to be yeah, he's a little homesick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect like, timing. Oh, That's amazing yeah. how convenient that all is. It is. So meanwhile, Kathleen, Stephen's girlfriend, has found herself fascinated by Stephen's story, and she's been like chatting about it with her dad a lot. And her dad is um, not a big fan of Stephen because he wants his daughter to be in a low-drama relationship, not with some guy who's trying to find himself and get over trauma and is involved with a kidnapping show. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the world of people. I know. Wild. Her, her dad's kind of terrible. I'm going to put it yeah, out no, there. <laughs> continuing the trend of a terrible adult. Yeah. So he's also looked into the case a bit more, and he noticed that when Handa was let... That's when an Hannah, abuse of power. You can go into people's cases. <laughs> noticed that when Hannah was let go from custody after being arrested, she was flown to Denver, um, but he is Why? I don't, I don't know. That was just where they, she ended this up. Him. I don't know. Denver, the Australia of America. <laughs> it was just, I, I bought, what was it, New York? And they were like, pick a spot, any spot. She's like, Denver. I don't know. <laughs> if we were going to dump our criminals someplace in this country, it would definitely not be Denver. It would be like Wyoming. There's no one else there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, Sam. But she was apparently flown sorry, to Denver. Wyoming. Yeah, we're sorry, Wyoming. Wyoming's a lovely state. I've been there. I mean, I literally know nothing about Wyoming, so I can't attest to it being one way or the other. I spent a relatively large amount did. of time in yeah, Wyoming. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you and your corn fret, your corn fed upbringing. <laughs> it's because we traveled across country, Sam. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, so you spent a lot of time in Wyoming. We did. Yeah. Because, no, I have family from there. <laughs> They own like a 25,000 acre ranch or something crazy. I, again, would like to reiterate my need for a normal person on this podcast <laughs> yeah. opposite me. I can't help it if my family owns cattle somewhere out there. I'm not like I know them well. <laughs> you're, you're Danielle the cowboy. <laughs> I lived in your the country Danielle. for years. <laughs> the cattle calls to you. You hear their moves at night. Yeah, I almost died from a cattle stampede. It was a whole thing. <laughs> oh my God. Your life is crazy. <laughs> And you're like, oh, this perfectly normal experience I've had, Danielle. It's not a normal experience. Your life is wild. It's normal to me, Sam. That, that's not what normal means. Normal doesn't mean it's something that happened to you. How am I supposed to know other people in my family in Wyoming? With oh, I can take a guess because there's like virtually nobody in Wyoming, Danielle. I think most people don't have family well, in Wyoming. apparently because half of my family owns half of it. When I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so you're like the land barons of Wyoming? This is getting worse by the minute. <laughs> I don't know, Sam. I like I don't like, have control over the rest of that side of the family. Did your family engage in some kind of weird ski competition to steal a resort from <laughs> some punk kids? No. Your evil land developing family? Not that I know of. I don't think they're evil land developing. They, they seem very saying, nice. Yeah, they come from <laughs> we startled the cows. It was our fault. It wasn't really the cows' fault. Oh yeah, yeah. What'd you do? Pull on their udders? No, we came up over a hill and we were making a little too much noise. We were chatting. And it got startled, and then they raced after us, and it was like the scene out of The Lion King. 
Okay. Not normal, Danielle. Nothing you said is normal in the last five minutes. I don't know what to tell you. I can't I can't help the things that happened when I traveled across country in a school I have, bus. <laughs> look, Danielle, I don't blame you for your experiences. I do blame you for thinking that your experience are somehow representative of the average person. <laughs> I don't know other people's lives, Sam. I can't compare whether or not mine was an average experience. Sure. I don't either. But I also get a sense of things that I've had happen in my life that are probably not typical. Yeah, I would imagine a lot of people probably haven't spent time in Wyoming. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> I don't know. My family was really into traveling. I'm happy for you and your family, and I'm sure Wyoming was a lovely place to visit. I probably will never go there. Well, that's a shame. It was beautiful. I mean, sure, but there are lots of beautiful places in this world, Danielle. But sad said, uh, yeah, I would send somebody to Wyoming over Denver. I mean, if you're going to dump your criminal somewhere, is all I'm saying. There's more room in Wyoming. There's less people. Fewer people. So the FBI agent, if you remember, oh, right, is looking book here. <laughs> this is to Danielle's biography hour. <laughs> but he's curious where the money came from to send her to Denver because obviously she was arrested. She did not have any money. And uh, it wasn't a police program. <laughs> he figured his parents were somehow or figured her parents were somehow involved in that and that it's possible. Oh, great job, Detective FBI. <laughs> And it's possible that after she got flown to Denver that she might have ended up in Boulder because it was a college town. It's got a large fringe community. I don't know if this is still true now or if it was even true in the 90s. But that is uh, what very the presumptuous, says, everybody. Like, <laughs> this dude is making some amazing leaps in logic. Yeah, this book, all these books are like that. Um, so it has a large fringe community and it'd be easy place for like an ex-cult member to kind of feel at home and, and go to the sure. outsides of society. <laughs> Are you fleeing from a cult? A little questionable. Yeah, like what's what's their like slogan? Are you trying to escape a cult? Come to Boulder, you'll feel right at home. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. So he doesn't want Kathleen around a kid who's like attached to a kidnapper that could actually be local. And he calls his daughter and makes and decides that he's going like on another trip there. He gives her some work excuse because he wants to be around her. I don't know why. It's like he didn't know about this prior to this moment. This They've been dating so for months. Convoluted. So I don't know why it would be like now is the time because she might strike even though she didn't strike in the last like five months they've been dating. I'm still convinced all the adults in this book are robots because they're not behaving like human beings. Yeah, it's crazy. So his daughter is thrilled at the idea that he's coming to visit again. And she mentions that Janie's also going to be in town visiting. So it's like the perfect time because she can he can meet the kidnappy. <laughs> Kidnap that, exactly what she calls to, him. Oof. I would not want to be – if I was Jeannie, I'd be really upset with that designation and also that like, hey, let me parade in front of you this kidnapped child for your amusement. Absolutely. So she calls her, like I said, a kidnapette and he encourages the use of the word and that she asks Janie a lot of questions because he's trying to drive a wedge between her and Stephen because he's a terrible human being. How is that going to drive a wedge between her and Stephen? Because Stephen – Oh, she's going to be mad that Stephen told her. Yeah. Uh, well, that and I think just Stephen will probably uh, want to support his family or be supportive to his family and his girlfriends being kind of rude about it. I think Got it's probably it. part of the concept. Yeah, daddy, whatever her face is, is terrible. Kathleen's dad. Yeah, sure. I'm not going to remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> so they make their way to Boulder, the the kids from Connecticut. How bold Connecticut of them. kids. <laughs> and they are walking around. They meet- Wait, wait. Uh, a Connecticut Yankee in Boulder court? Boulder's- Colorado. Well, there yeah. you go. <laughs> Meet- they Get on meet- it, Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what he's doing with his life. What a, what a really boring book that would be. <laughs> Not oh. if they meet ex-cult members on the Fringe Society of Boulder. 
Yeah, but can you imagine like 1800s Boulder is like some guy like, oh, I'm from Connecticut. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. It's all 20 yeah. people who live there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, okay. Well, this isn't very interesting. Bye. <laughs> wasn't the, uh, no, it wasn't. It was close to Boulder though, wasn't it? The But the. Uh, what? The <laughs> wedding dress story that I did. Remember? Oh, wedding dress. legend. Wasn't that set? Yeah, legend. Thank you for the. Reminding me of the title of the book I've read like a dozen times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a dozen times? You've read that book way too many times, more than this is. <laughs> it's one of those like comfort reads, not because it's a good book, just it is. Isn't that set near outside of Boulder? I mean, there are caves. In the 1800s, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember where the caves were, but they were somewhere. Gonna, I think I'm going to use that one for our next uh, um, memory one where you have to give me the plot. Okay, thank you, because I remember that one better than I remember the one about the living buildings, so... <laughs> Buildings. That was a crazy story. Yeah, right? Anyway. What was that? That was called some generic title. I don't remember the name of them. It was called like Love or Building Love or I don't know. <laughs> Making it up. That was one of my favorite weird movies. That was a good weird movie. It sounded fun. Yeah. What movie? Anyway. Anyway, listen to the Weird Building Love episode, everybody. <laughs> really selling it there. <laughs> so, um,. So they meet Kathleen in the afternoon for some food, and Kathleen almost immediately jumps in with trying to question Janie, ignoring Stephen's pleas to stop. And obviously it kind of gets on Janie's nerves. I would be very upset, and Kathleen sucks. <laughs> yeah, she's trying her best to like get along with her, because obviously Stephen likes her, but she's struggling. I'm going to cut a lot of that out, but it, like pretty much every scene between Kathleen and Janie, she's trying to ask her questions. It's very obnoxious. Sounds like a terrible person. Yeah. Janie's trying to figure out how to get out of bringing everybody with her to meet Hannah. That's kind of what's you know primarily on her mind, even though she's pretending sure. like she's enjoying Boulder. And the because um, the money that's due to Hannah is now a little late, so she knows Hannah must be waiting for it. And so she suspects that she'll be at the post office box like bright and early Monday morning to pick up her ma- her mail because she wants to see if the check's there. Because I assume they're assuming that she lives off these checks. That's a lot again. A lot of assumptions. It's a lot of assumptions, but you know, the why wouldn't she sleep in? Maybe she sleeps in. <laughs> Maybe. She decides that her best bet is to leave a message um, that she's a messenger from Frank Johnson and to that, that she'll meet her with a check, essentially. So, like, this is all so convoluted. It is. But that's the fun of it, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And she's going to tell the others that she's given up, that she's just going to send the check and be done with it. She's, you know, had a. She realizes how weird it is, and she's decided she doesn't actually want to talk to Hannah. So that's her plan. It's certainly a plan. It is a plan. So Stephen and Brian, meanwhile, have a heart-to-heart, and Stephen suggests untwinning from Brendan when he finds out that Brian has been doing all his like homework and papers for him so that he can do well enough in school to stay on the sports teams. <laughs> Explain to me the process of untwinning. Is it like... <laughs> Something like from like the fly, if they get into a machine and it teleports them apart and like breaks their twin bond. Yes, exactly that. Great. I Where's think Jeff should... Goldblum? As long as he's in it, I don't care. <laughs> I think he's suggesting that Brendan's kind of already done it himself. Like he's kind of got on his own. He's sort of ignoring him. He's doing his own thing. He's like super not involved in Brian's life anymore. So his term for untuning is just like be a little bit more independent. Yes, and she suggests going to another school that's more focused on academics, because then, one, he wouldn't be doing all of Brendan's work, and Brendan could sure. suck it up and do it himself. But also, he would be able to focus on stuff that he actually likes, which is history and geology and all of that stuff. But Brendan could be the next famous curler. I don't know any famous curlers. Uh, well, yeah, Brendan should do his own homework and still be a famous curler. Famous curlers. <laughs> uh, list of curlers. Perfect. He could be the next Anna Arse. Mm, that's a mm, <laughs> that boy. 
That was an unfortunate first name in the alphabet. A R C E, to be clear. Maybe it's Ar- Arca or R C. R C could be R C. Mm, it's from Andorra, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure she gets that a lot. I feel bad for her. He could be the next Sean Hall. Yay! Good job, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Brian feels overwhelmed by this conversation and Stephen asks him kind of what's going on because he's clearly, you know, detaching a little bit from this. And he says he just feels like maybe he's gotten too attached to the Johnson. He's worried about Mr. Johnson dying and he's worried about Mrs. Johnson being by herself and Janie making stupid decisions. And Stephen's like, wait, whoa, 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 back it up. What stupid decisions? (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, you think? So meanwhile, Janie pulls out her checkbook to write the check to Hannah in front of Reeve for reasons I don't quite understand, but it's happening. And Reeve is filled with dread about this idea, thinking that he she shouldn't help out at all. Like, she should stop sending the checks and give it up. I mean, again, I'm not saying she's obligated to support the one who kidnapped her, but it also seems startlingly cruel or unempathetic to suddenly cut someone off from their presumably only source of income that they, at least from their perspective, that's her only source of income. Right. So he's kind of weirded out by the idea because he, as you mentioned, potentially spoke to Hannah on the phone a few months back at the radio station, which would put her clearly in Boston, at least during that time, and not in Colorado. Yeah, because you can't call across state lines. Well, except that, remember, the radio station was local to Boston. Yeah, but didn't they, like, send out tapes or something for it? Or no. Did I forget? Yeah, they were going to do that. That's right. That was their plan, but they had not done that. Remember, he destroyed right, right, all the right, tapes. Okay. I, I, I forgot if they actually accomplished that or not. Yes. So it's local to the, like, immediate Boston area. So she would have to literally be, like, out the college, essentially, or near the college. But he doesn't know if that was, like, the real Hannah or not. Of course. And Janie's like, you're making too much of a deal out of this. She's not going to attack me. And he's like, okay, listen, no matter how low-key your kidnapping was, you know, you remember it being ice cream and this nice lady who took you away. Like, it doesn't feel like a scary thing in your head. Kidnapping is, by definition, a violent action. You have no idea what this woman's like. I guess, yeah. And if um, she finds Hannah, if she actually talks to her, she's betraying her mother and father just as badly, if not worse, as he betrayed her. I'm not sure about that, but, like, she really should be talking to her parents about this. They should be able to handle this conversation. I 100% agree. (laughs) So she doesn't see it that way and dislikes the comparison, and she feels like her father betrayed her, and she deserves answers. She's not betraying them. Okay. I mean, like, I'm not sure what the right answer is here, Danielle, but none of this feels right. (laughs) So Stephen kind of plops down beside them as they're talking and asks immediately, like, what's the stupid decision that you're trying to make, Janie? Because... (laughs) Brian mentioned something, and Brian's like, I didn't tell him. Build them beans. Beans getting spilt left and right in this book. I told you, nothing lasts as a secret for longer than, like, a chapter. <laughs> Why even bother pretending to keep things secret? So she ends up telling Stephen everything, and she admits that the phrase in the report that said the subject was last seen flying west really appeals to her. That the idea of disappearing, of being last seen, it gives her all this anonymity and all of the power. Um, Freedom. Yeah. She always feels like she has to be the good guy and the one who forgave people, who's trying to keep this balance going between all the parents and parts and everything, and she really wants to be the bad guy. 
To be fair, she has been trying to parent her parents way more than she really should be. Yeah, this would probably be a lot easier for them if they'd step it up. So everybody else is kind of appalled by this revelation, but Stephen says he totally gets it because he was the oldest brother. He lived his whole life being the good guy because he was in charge of making sure his other siblings got to things on time, weren't kidnapped. Like he had a lot of responsibility at a young age and he lived, you know, he's around the same age as she is like a year or two older. And so he's lived the same stretch of time where the other ones were much littler, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was enough good dying for him. Like he, that's why he left. But he tells her she can't just disappear. She can get distance though. Like she could go to school in Colorado or another place, and she doesn't have to be constantly surrounded by that and feel the pressure of that. Um, she can give herself time outside of the situation to heal. You know, she doesn't have to be connected to that all the time. All right, heart to heart with Stephen, who's giving some good advice. Oh, it is good advice. So that night, she writes a letter to go um, in lieu of the check. And the letter is, Frank Johnson has asked me to deliver your check by hand. He needs to know if he is giving you enough money or if you need more. Meet me in the university library magazine room, 2 p.m. Uh, what? That's her letter. That's what she's saying. What? Meet me in a, in a university <laughs> library because anyone just walk into those. Also, like, what a weak excuse. Yeah, do you have enough money? Seems like a trap, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Also, like a courier wouldn't like go to her address. I don't know. It's just a very weak excuse. I find to be. I, I find that to be implausible. But I'm not Hannah. <laughs> You're not a teenager. <laughs> so she goes Both to true. she goes to deliver the letter. It's supposed to be picked up later that night or that next morning or something like that. But the scene cut short, so we don't know if she did or not. Meanwhile, they're walking downtown. I think on their way to dinner or thinking about dinner, and a car pulls up. And Stephen immediately recognizes Kathleen and her dad in the car. What? Oh, no. And he's suspicious since her dad was just there. <laughs> right? And he gets instantly angry. He's an angry person. but he, He's gotten a lot better. But he's instantly angry and demands to know what her dad is doing there. The FBI agents don't just show up places, which is valid. He did actually just come back to screw with them. <laughs> yeah, he's there for nefarious reasons, so... And Kathleen's like, no, my dad's just happened to be in town again. He was going to take us all to dinner. You know, I mentioned we were going to dinner. And was like, well, nobody mentioned that your dad was going to be there. And Stephen doesn't believe that. It feels like it's not fair that his past is like coming around to bite him in, bite him in the butt in his present because he's come so far, you know? Yeah. And he's doing so well. And Kathleen asks what the matter is with him and tells him he needs to grow up. And I Stephen, mean, not untrue. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but he, she, man, she like... I She's feel not like, a great in this either. I'm no, and I, I, I feel like I have not, not expressed this enough in it because it's, it's just like stuff that she says and that's hard to explain in this story. But like she makes light of this whole situation the entire time. She's like poking fun at it. She's like, oh, tell me more. Tell me more. Like, okay. like she's like, like yeah. very like – she is not acting like yeah, like she's like very involved. Like she's listening to somebody else's story and not his own personal life and demons. And she's just that's very, fair. That's not very good, right? And so I haven't expressed that enough. But every time she talks about it, she's just it's very like uh, yeah, voyeuristic is a good way to express that. Got it. So Stephen realizes, like, yeah, of course I'm late growing up, but it's exactly because of people like Kathleen who never leave leave them alone, who just like constantly want to know more that are like. Staring prying the and window, prying and like, prying yeah, to their prying. lives, yeah. Then it makes it just so much more difficult to move on. Um, and Janie's very, like, confused and scared by this conversation because they're, like, yelling at each other on the sidewalk. 
And she she reveals that she hadn't actually mailed the letter. She chickened out at the last minute. But she's wondering if somehow they know what's in her purse or if, like, they were following her or know that she was somehow trying to get contact or kidnap her. Was she going to get in trouble? And she kind of slowly realizes as this conversation's playing out that Stephen is just acting like her big brother and is yelling at the FBI guy. And it's, that's just what the situation is. There's not any deeper meeting to it. The FBI guy was clearly just there to pay him a social visit with dinner. Mm, which but is he wasn't. Sort, sort of true, but not really. Like, But he doesn't know about Hannah is what she's saying. Right. Like, he doesn't know that she's in town, potentially. And Stephen tells them to go away, that this is a family visit and the FBI is not involved in that ever again. Which, you Fair know, enough, I suppose. Good Stephen. Yeah, good for Stephen having some, like, boundaries. Yeah. Which he should have had when they kept quizzing him at dinner about his... Right. I mean, maybe we should have, like, established those earlier when he was spilling those beans. <laughs> well, I think he felt obligated. But yeah, at some point he should have been like, listen, I really don't want to talk about this anymore because we please talk about something else. <laughs> Which he said once and then seemed to never say again. Right. So Kathleen's dad tries to calm him, down, calm him down, saying they would never talk about any of that stuff at dinner because it's not polite dinner conversation. And Stephen's like, what? You... Talked for me like an hour you about this. You me about the yeah. dinner. <laughs> like, and Kathleen gets mad and asks why her father's occupation is such a big deal. If the little kidnapper cared about him, she'd have lived with his family in the first place. Whoa! I know. Out of line, <laughs> Kathleen. Dump her butt. <laughs> he yells at her about using that word again because she used it earlier and he got mad at her then. And they leave. And the father's parting shot is, I apologize, Stephen. You should have been warned. I know you don't handle problems well. I know you aren't strong. Because adults are the worst. (laughs) Why is every like, he got himself lucky. If if she's like her father, she's an awful person. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Like, how is that an appropriate thing for some random person's father to say to you? You don't know this kid. (laughs) And you know he's going through trauma. And that you as a, like... A, a professional or ex-professional should be much nicer about it. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, horrible people. Absolutely yeah. the worst. Yeah, terrible. So Janie's takeaway from all of that is she's the one that causes all the problems. Like, Oh, oh. Janie, it's all about you. <laughs> like that all of this stuff happens because it's of It's not. Oh, get off yourself. Get over yourself, girl. I know. Therapy would help. Yeah, you think? <laughs> So she goes back and forth. Um, they kind of like go whatever, go back to the dorms or something. And she goes back and forth and whether it was not, it was a good idea to mail the letter. But she goes out to eat with her family that evening and realizes kind of how great they are and how she has this good support system with the people that are there. Um, and how other people outside of that are constantly pushing them for answers and want to know more about their lives and, you know, don't realize the effect that that has on them. And she doesn't want to be somebody who's that who shoves to get what she wants is how she phrases it. Um, And then she suddenly realizes that she hasn't called her mom in two days and she's being a terrible daughter because she was so wrapped up in like this Hannah situation. Oh, your father's dying. (laughs) And she calls on her cell and her mom admits that she didn't call her either because her dad is fine, Sam. (laughs) She's he's stable. He's stable. He's stable. Oh, a stroke and a heart attack. He just (laughs) clears up right away. No, he's stable. So there's nothing Pop a couple of aspirin. You're okay. Come back tomorrow. (laughs) There's no new information. And she just wanted her to have fun because she's ashamed to admit that she feels like she holds on to Janie too much and isn't letting her live her own life just so she can lean on her. And that shouldn't be what she does as a mom. She should let her, you know, go experience things and do do her own life. You know, good learning lesson, mom. Yeah, parents learning things. (laughs) So somehow, uh, apparently she was staying with Kathleen. The girls were staying with uh, the girl. The girl was staying with Kathleen. The boys were all in what's-his-face's dorm. Uh, Steven. Steven, okay. 
And so somehow she still has to spend the night with Kathleen. No. No. <laughs> and I was like, what? You have rich parents. Go get a hotel room or stay on the floor in Stephen's place. Is there seriously not a single other space she could sleep in? Yeah, because Kathleen's the worst. So she ends up going back to the room and Kathleen's been crying, afraid afraid that Stephen hates her. And Janie- Reasonable. <laughs> And Janie explains that he doesn't actually hate her, but she was just treating their past really lightly, and it's not a light thing. It's a very dark thing. Yeah. And she realizes that Kathleen has had no – she's like a version of her from a couple years ago. Like, she has Completely no – Completely privileged. No Yeah, struggles. no real trial in life. She's just, like, hasn't had to go through anything hard, hasn't grown or learned or had to become an adult in any kind of way, and that's why she's like that. Not an excuse for the way her father acted. No, and Kathleen explains that her father really is retired from the FBI there, that he's supposedly just there to do some stuff on airport security. So then how do you get access to the case file? That's like if he's retired. Call he should it have a favor. No. I don't know. That's not okay. It's abuse of power. Right. And Kathleen says he's just there to do some airport security stuff as a consult, and he just wanted to look at her, quote unquote. <laughs> like, a, like a zoo animal. <laughs> yeah, isn't it crazy? <laughs> Awful. You're making it worse, Kathleen. Yeah, stop talking. And Janie, I don't quite uh, understand the turnaround here, but Janie feels like she just should accept that people love this kind of drama. And I wouldn't care. I'd be like, you ain't love this drama, but it's not your drama to have. Get away from me. Right. And so she should probably just answer their questions and like move on and stop making such a big deal out of it because it's just going to happen constantly in her life. And mm-hmm. she needs to stop kind of living in it and, and be her own self or whatever. And she wonders if Stephen and Kathleen are ever going to get back together, if he could forgive her for cramming the past down his throat, quote unquote. Um, And Janie knows that she herself finds forgiveness very difficult. um, And she's thinking... Reeve. (laughs) About Reeve. (laughs) So she sometimes thinks the stuff with Reeve seems very small and inconsequential in comparison to a lot of the big things that happened. And Reeve... Ultimately, she feels like is probably right. If she'd found Hannah, it would be betraying her parents um, worse than he betrayed her. Um, I know. Arguable. Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. <laughs> so she's pretty sure that she likes Reeve again because she hates how careful and rehearsed their relationship has become and that it isn't friendship. And she just like misses him and he's been trying so hard and he like clearly understands what he did was a terrible mistake and he's been trying to respect her privacy. Sure, sure, she, sure, sure. She wants to give him another chance, essentially. Whatever. saw that coming (laughs) yeah fine so she thinks about the checkbook and she can't decide the big question is if she should continue paying her even if she's not going to meet with her yeah i don't know i don't know either any guesses uh probably like the kind thing to do would be to help the struggling woman but i understand that her feelings are complicated and she was possibly kidnapped by her still not established anyway that's true so Wrapping the story up. Already. Great. Well, close. I mean, we've got a little ways, but we're getting to the the, the bottom of the ninth year. So the next morning they go for a hike in the mountains with Kathleen for reasons I don't fully understand. Why is she in the silver album? She's awful. <laughs> and Reeves tells her that she needs to unkidnap herself. Stephen told Brian what? to <laughs> let me get into it. <laughs> She needs to stop thinking of herself as the kidnapped girl, like, part of her identity. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Why are they using the dumbest terms for all this stuff? Untwin yourself. Unkidnap yourself. Well, that's what he says. He says he used the term because he said Stephen had told Brian to untwin himself. And Stephen has learned to unhate. And she needs to learn how to unkidnap herself. But it would be hard, adds Brian, because of the money issue. Like, there's this attachment here. Um, So whether she gives the money to Hannah or not, it's just sitting there. This, like, kidnap money is in a bank somewhere. 
somewhere. And she's going to think about it every time she sees the office. And um, Brian says that he's been thinking about it and he's not sure that the money is this like negative thing, is this kidnap money, but it's more like it's ransom money. Her father was paying a ransom to keep Janie. So she needs to like turn the the thought around. So like it was a positive thing? Like, that's a stretch. <laughs> So what they need to do, because Brian, uh, which I didn't mention previously, is Brian's been studying up on the Trojan War, like, this entire time. He's, like, super into the Trojan War right now and been reading Sure. All, all right. Really, really big old fan of the Iliad. Yes. That's what started it. And so he's saying what they need to do is we need to get into the enemy camp in such a brilliant way that Hannah doesn't realize we're there. We leave her with a magnificent gift, but she opens it and it's the end of her. So – they want to murder her. <laughs> no. I was wondering where this was going. I was very disappointed. <laughs> oh, disappointed at the lack of murder. Sorry. I wasn't sure if it was going to be murder, but I was like, what's this? Like, what's the plot? The plot's not very also, interesting. getting to them in such a brilliant way that she doesn't notice? You mean sneak. That's just sneaking in there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So Reeve, like, delightedly laughs. He loves this idea. He says, I've got it. The money is the Trojan horse. You should write her a check for the whole amount and be done with it. It buys- Like, what do you the whole amount? The whole amount that's in the bank account that's been paying Hannah. Oh, okay. So just, like, empty the account and be done with it and let her, like, squander it and, and probably be destitute in a few years because people who don't have money management skills are not going to be able to- Yeah, but that's really not on them nor any of the family. This is, I mean- That's true. Hannah is not- as Assumedly, we have no- Who knows? She may Maybe she's living a great life and she's putting all this money towards a kid who needs high school, private high school. I don't know, Sam. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm not sure this is any more compassionate than just cutting her off. But I think the idea, of course, we'll get into this in just a second. I don't necessarily agree. I'm just saying this is what their thought process is. It basically, like, buys her back. It gives Hannah a large sum of money being like, you can do whatever you want with this. Do the right thing with it and, like, get your life together. But, like, we're not, not responsible after right. this. You know what? Like... I mean, I got to give this book credit for being more nuanced than the previous books in the series. So mm-hmm. well done there. Because yeah. it presents problems that don't have clear solutions. And the solutions the character come up with are not necessarily like wrong. Yeah, I don't think I there's any say. right solutions to this problem. Yeah. This is in stark contrast to the previous book where every decision they made was absolutely <laughs> wrong and objectively so. And I think Hannah has had many opportunities to do the right thing or come clean sure. or whatever. And at some point, sometimes you have to cut people off. Like, you know, this you know, is what you get that's and that's fair. what you get. Totally legitimate. So, you know what? You know, good job on this. Like, you finally, this series has finally come <laughs> to a place where I think it has, like, more complexity than <laughs> terrible adults being terrible, making the wrong decisions all the time. That's because there's not many adults in this book. That probably helps. <laughs> <laughs> that probably helped. Yeah. You're a good point, Daniel. <laughs> So the concept is if all the money's gone, uh, the money isn't a reminder and there's no connection to Hannah. So it's like clean break. You're done. You never have to think about it again, theoretically. That's fair. Yeah. So Janie thinks it's not a ransom so much as an escape. It'll settle the account. Hannah isn't theirs. They're not hers. Hannah obviously didn't love or want love or her parents. She or she would have reached out at some point. She just wanted the money because that's all she's ever asked for. And I think there's probably more to it than that. But yes. That's a simplification of somebody's, you know, psychological trauma. But again, not sure what the right answer is here. So, sure. Right. And so, Reeve tells Janie that she has to write a note so that they that Hannah knows why this is happening, right? And this is the last one, yeah. Right. And so, he suggests saying, this is it. You haven't done anything else well, Hannah, but this buys you a chance to do something well. It's over. Goodbye. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's clear, but okay. 
these notes are these kids are not good at writing notes. I'm putting <laughs> it out there. Their note writing skills are subpar. <laughs> so Brian's worried about what happens if Mr. Johnson gets well and finds out, and Reeves suggests that she just write him a note too and put it in the folder where the checkbook is, and maybe he'll be like secretly pleased by that because he's being held hostage in his own way. I mean, sure. I don't know if he'll be pleased by that, but I guess if their note writing skills are anything like the ones they give to Hannah, <laughs> he might not have a clue what's going on. <laughs> Yep. So she realizes this is the only way. They can't think of another solution to this problem. They're in a war that she didn't realize she was fighting, and it's time to sign the peace treaty. Time to unkidnap, quote unquote. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to quibble over these terms. Perfect. So they make their way to the airport, visits over, and while they're waiting on their delayed flight, they write the note and send it with the check. She, While she's putting everything away, she finds a letter in her purse from Stephen. It thanks them for visiting, and it says it made him realize that he stepped far enough away from his family, and he wants to step back in. What's with all the letters? I don't know. It's a big the 90s, Sam. That's how they communicated. <laughs> but, like, they were literally – they're still in Colorado with Stephen, right? Well, Stephen's not there anymore. He, like, dropped him off at the airport or whatever, or they went to the airport. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. So it's a sure, letter. It's like a goodbye have... letter. Okay. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> so – I want he fax it to them. <laughs> Because we're in an airport. It's just a letter in the Oh, yeah. Papers. I think if there's going to be one place, though, that has a fax machine, Daniel, it's an airport. <laughs> so he said he didn't ha- uh, He doesn't have to let go anymore to heal. He just needs to hold on to the important parts. And he's finally realized, you know, that. Okay. Sure. Good for him. Yeah. So while they're waiting, Reeves invite her- Reeve invites her out on a date. And she reminds him that the we- they have the wedding rehearsal that night. So they can't go out on a date. Oh, right. Busy the lawyers getting married. Busy the lawyers married. getting married. Forgot about her entirely. <laughs> and they imagine what Lizzie, the lawyer's fiance, is like because they haven't met him yet. And Janie laughs about it. And he's like, he's probably passed every test under the sun if he's getting married to Lizzie, the lawyer. And she reflects that she's also passed all her tests too. She's found her family. She found the right thing to do. And she found her way home. The end. So the end of this book is never confronting Hannah. Fine. And she's like, well, I'm going to move on and I don't need any therapy. Yes. Wild. <laughs> And then the best part is I flipped the page because, you know, it was the end of the book. I wanted to make sure. And the next page um, tells me that apparently Carolyn B. Cootie wrote a time travel quartet. So that's whoa, whoa, whoa. fun. <laughs> she did like a time travel quartet along the lines of A Wrinkle in Time. I have no idea, Sam. I've never read her time travel quartet. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's one because the only time travel quartet is, is that one that I've heard of. Yeah, so I might have to look into that. There may Although be more Carolyn Bicuti in our future. There is less time travel in the rest of those books than the first one, or even any. Like, there's very little time travel in, in those books. I was thinking about her recently because Carolyn B. Cooney actually, some of the way that she writes reminds me of Madeline Lingle. Sure. I think Madeline Lingle is a better writer. No offense, Carolyn B. Cooney, you're completely different genres, though, so the writing style is well, different. Well, also, like, yeah, like, she also, Madeline Lingle writes very sort of surreal books, and Carolyn B. Cooney seems to be very, like, grounded in reality, quote-unquote. Yeah, but sometimes their writing style just reminds me, especially, like, the internal monologue sections, and part of that might just be the time period. Like, they're kind of written in a similar... You know what? I was wrong. Period. Madeline Lingle, it was the time quintet, not the time travel quartet. My oh, mistake. There you go. Totally different stories, I'm sure. <laughs> totally I didn't different. look it up. I should have looked up to see what they were. All right. Well, let me tell you what they're called. You have both sides of time. You have out of time, prisoner of time, and for all time. How How is that not the best thing you've ever heard? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't even know what these books are about, but I want to read them. I'm going to see what uh, they're about. No, you look up later. Keep it a mystery. Okay. I'm going to look it up. 
Okay, great. Anyway, let's focus on this Carolyn B. Cooney series for the moment because <laughs> we have approached the end of this Janie quintet. I guess we did the quartet and then there's a a, a, a auxiliary quintet. Uh, it, it makes feels like it's the end and then right. maybe she like decided to write another one for fun. Like a follow. I wish I hope it's like 30 years later, Janie reflects on her life and all the mistakes she made. No, that's not it. And how much therapy she desperately needed. I definitely read a quick summary. Not an in-depth one because I didn't want to know that much, but a quick summary of the next one and that is not what happens. Oh, well, fine. Crush my dreams, Danielle. Ah, she's read a lot of novels. Good for her. That's a lot of work. He's like the Stephen King of young adult books. (laughs) All right. Anyway, continue on. I mean, what else are to say? It's over. <laughs> it's over. That's the end of the story, everybody. I'm s- sorry if that wasn't more satisfying. I mean, not your fault. <laughs> At least it didn't end on a weird cliffhanger like the other ones did. I mean, I'm happy that Janie found closure of a sense. It just feels very, again, I wasn't reading the book, so maybe I missed out on the emotional nuance, but it feels very convenient. Like, oh, it just sort of happened. It is. Her book, uh, these books are kind of like that a little bit. Like they usually, what happens is they have some kind of moment that makes them second guess or like second think something. And then they have some kind of realization and then they're a better person for it. You know what? If only everyone else could be as introspective. (laughs) See, in some ways, these teenagers are older than their age. And in other ways, boy, are they their age. (laughs) Well, we're going to be, if you want to write in and let us know how you feel about Wyoming and using it as a penal colony. <laughs> <laughs> like whether that's it was would have been a good idea or a bad idea. Personally, I'm not for it. I'm against penal colonies in general, but you know, I want to hear the other side too. Let, let's get a, a nice robust debate going. You can do so at bookretorts.com. You can also tweet Instagram or Facebook us at Book Retorts. Also, if you want to help fund our collection we're taking up to get these kids some therapy, you can do so at patreon.com slash book retorts. They really do need therapy. So much therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I know this was the 90s and like early-ish 2000s, but come on. I know these characters are fictional, but (laughs) yeah, take care of them. (laughs) They need more support than they're getting. Well, until we see the quintet or the time travel or quartet or maybe the time quintet. I read like two of those books, Danielle, and I never got through the other three. So oh, I read all of them. I read I know. a lot of Madeline Lingle, man. <laughs> maybe all of it. I'm not even sure. I think maybe I've read – I don't know if I've read all of them. I've read a lot of it. Even the well, Maybe stuff. you could do another Madeline Lingle book to complement the starfish one. That's true. I could. I could do the talking dolphin one, but I'm not sure I want to do that for the podcast. I think it would – Make Too personal? Little, maybe a little sad, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, we don't want that, Daniel. Let's keep you happy. Well, we'll see what happens next time. And until then, bye. Take care, everybody.
Why haven't anyone invented a, a nozo rooter? I mean, I think they probably use them for surgeries. I don't even know if that's true, Danielle. It sounds like a good way to stab somebody in the brain. <laughs> they probably use them for some kind of like deviated septum or clearing things out or something. Probably have to reset all that. I mean, I the only thing I can think of is like mummies, like mummification processes. Yeah, you stick it up there with the yeah. nostril and you spit it all about and you pull it out. Yeah, Danielle, it's just like the hokey pokey. <laughs> It's the hottie pokey. I was thinking of the movie The Mummy, but sure. Yeah, I mean, of course you were. You're never not thinking of the movie The Mummy. I mean, to be fair, great movie. Great movie. Terrible if, sequels. If, <laughs> yeah, but if anything's going to live rent free in your brain, it could be worse than the Rachel Weiss, Brendan Fraser classic, The Mummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 